All right. Well, good morning. I uh, just want to say a special welcome to those of you who are joining us online and introduce myself a little bit. If you're new to Story Church, my name is Travis Cunningham. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Story Church, and, and I just love worshiping with you each and every weekend. Story Church exists to know, live, and share the one true story. That one true story being the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we just sang about it, that Jesus took the cross in our place, and, and that's how much he loves us. And now all of life is about becoming more like him. So that's what we're going to sing. That's what you're going to hear from the word today. We're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. And so just a couple of directional things, if you're new with us, we have some uh, uh, cocktail tables, we'll call it that here, and in the back with, with a variety of things. On those cocktail tables, you'll find a connect card where you can fill that out, let us know who you are, where you're coming from, and we'd love to meet you at the welcome tent right after service in exchange for this connect card. We'd love to get you a little shirt and a gift from Story Church. If you're online, fill out a digital connect card and we'd love to connect with you as well. Um, and then just want to point out a couple of new things, or really just one new thing. Uh, for particularly the elementary aged kids, we have a new little half uh, sheet of paper uh, where they can follow along with the sermon. On the back, there's a little crossword puzzle. You'll, you'll, I don't know if you've ever done a crossword puzzle where both pizza and demons were included, but that, that's what we've got. I, I've eaten jalapeno pizza before, and it felt like a demon got after me there. Um, now, Uh, we want you parents uh, to follow along with your kids, help them fill in the blanks. And we want you to engage the sermon together. And then from this on the drive home, take this with you, talk about this more, talk about how to apply this all the way down to our youngest. This is the best way where we can disciple in this season. So just want to point that out to you. If you didn't grab one, there there should be scattered about um, here at at the welcome tent. And and then uh, just the the last thing I want to uh, invite you into is today, right after service, we have what's called starting point, our our first one of the new year. From 1030 to a little after 11, we're going to gather together, share a bit of our story, uh, share a little bit of who we are, our history. We'd love to hear your story and then invite you into how to best get connected to the life of the church here at Story Church. I know getting connected to a new church can be intimidating. Where do I go? What's next? And particularly in a season like this, we'd love to do everything we can to get you connected. And again, if you're online with us and you're new to the church, uh, we would love to have a digital starting point with you to get you connected. So email us and we would love to connect with you. All right, Mark chapter one. Uh, You just heard the scripture read to us. And I do want to uh, just open before we get into the text and and just kind of uh, talk about uh, last week a little bit. Uh, Last week, I opened the sermon with kind of an intro where, where I talked about grumbling and gratitude where I talked about this heart of gratitude we can have as a church in this season that even though things aren't the way we want them to be, even if everything isn't perfect, uh, it's not like we as a church trying to withhold things from you, neglect good things for you. We are doing the best we can with what we have and God's moving. And so I want us to have a heart of gratitude in the midst of that, not grumbling about what isn't, but grateful for what is. Now, here's what I wanna do. Uh, I wanna kind of take a step back from that. And, and last week, there might have been points in that, there were points in that where maybe you heard a tone of, of frustration a little bit. Maybe you heard at points, uh, at the end, I said a line that I regret saying. So let me apologize for that. Uh, I said at the end, uh, if you're frustrated, we just don't wanna hear it. Now, that's not true. 
uh, you heard me just go off script and say something I shouldn't have said. Uh, if you're frustrated with things, if you have questions about things, here's what we want to do. We want to talk about that. We want to meet with you. That's an issue of, of shepherding and discipleship and an issue of the heart. And as your pastors, we want to talk about that. Here's what we're not about. We're not about gossiping and little clicks. We're not about sarcastic one-off liners. We're not about just sharp little comments of, of disagreement. Listen, that's not the posture of a Christian. What we are about is let's have a conversation about things. Uh, and that, that goes beyond just, just COVID and mass and all those things. We wanna do that in all of the life of the church. So I, I wanna say what I said last week, I stand behind. We are gonna be a grateful church, not a grumbling church. But when I say we don't wanna hear it, I don't mean just kind of be fearful and shrink back and don't say anything. What I mean by that is let's have a conversation. Let's not just frustratedly throw kind of like verbal grenades at one another, okay? We good with that? All right, let's get to the Bible here. Let's get to the Bible. Today's sermon I've entitled The Building Blocks of Gospel Growth. And so if you've got your kids with you, look at that, one, that, that little sheet. You'll see it right in there. The title's right at the top. You've got the main point in there, kiddos, that Jesus wants us to grow in the gospel. So let's follow along with this. When I was younger, one of my favorite TV shows to watch was Shark Tank. Uh, Shark Tank has gotten a little hokey in recent seasons. It feels like they've run out of products and businesses. And so there's just some weird things that's coming on Shark Tank. But one of the things that I really loved about Shark Tank throughout the years is that they showed the massive variety in products and people and businesses that can be successful. I mean, there, there's people that found their business in a Harvard lab as they were going through their graduate studies and, and they built their business on intellect and study and, and it just kind of grew. And then there's other people who found perfect irrigation systems and sprinkler systems and kind of rural places in Iowa and, and, and the show highlighted that even those are, there's a variety of education and, and background and finances and, and all of those kind of things, really there were just some foundational things that you needed to be successful. The sharks did not care what your background was, what your pedigree was, what they cared about. Is your company successful? Will your company be successful? And you always heard in the feedback some of the things that they were looking for they, they were looking for, do you have grit? Do you have determination? When it gets hard, are you gonna press on and, and press through? We're gonna let that fly, huh? We'll just put that right under there. <laughs> they were looking for, are you gonna be entrepreneurial? When, 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 when obstacles come? Are you going to find a way to get around those things? Are you willing to do what it takes? Work two jobs, three jobs, work 20 hours a day, work six, seven days a week. These are the things they were looking for that even though there's a variety of differences in people and businesses and backgrounds, there was just some common denominators that you needed in order to grow a successful business. Now, I say that because Jesus wants us to grow in the gospel. He wants us to have a deeper understanding of who he is, and what he has done. And there's a variety of pathways into that, thinking about our different contexts, our different backgrounds, our different life stages. However, at the essence, there are some basic foundational building blocks that we must have in our lives if we wanna grow in our understanding of the gospel, if we wanna grow in our understanding of the grace of Jesus Christ. And so specifically, what we're gonna see in the text today are four of those basic building blocks of God. Gospel growth. 
And I really hope that you're in this thing, not just to to have a hobby that you come to on Sundays and have some friends. I hope you're in this thing because Jesus has saved you and you wanna know him. You wanna grow in your knowledge of him. You wanna grow in in his presence. You wanna grow in the understanding of his grace. And so there's four things we're gonna see. The four building blocks of gospel growth. We're gonna look at prayer. We're gonna look look at the preaching of the word. We're gonna look at striving and of sharing. Okay, so let's jump right in. The first building block, all right, kiddos, fill it in right here. Building block number one is prayer. The first building block of gospel growth is prayer. Look back at your Mark Bible journals if you've got one, and if you don't, they should be on the cocktail tables. Mark one, we're gonna look at 35 through 37. God's word says to us, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, being Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now, let's put ourselves in kind of the role of the narrative here. What's been going on in Mark chapter one has been incredible. Jesus has come on the scene. He's been baptized. The father said, I'm pleased with you. And then he begins his public ministry and he's healing people and he's speaking forgiveness over people. He's casting out demons. He's building his church and his kingdom. And so he's on a roll here. And then all of a sudden he disappears, goes to a desolate place and he begins to pray. Now that's like, if I were in his shoes and we're on that kind of role, we're not stopping the momentum to go hide somewhere in and pray, which is why Jesus shows us such a better way. And you could see the response of the disciples. What's going on here is Simon and the other disciples, they kind of, they convene a region-wide like search party. Let's go find Jesus. Let's go, go find all, let's check the mountains. Let's check the hills. Let's check the valleys. Let's go find this man. And when they finally do find him, they speak a word to him that in the Greek almost reads like a rebuke of Jesus, an admonishment of Jesus. He says, everyone's looking for you. In other words, why have you abandoned us? What's wrong with you, Jesus? How could you have left us? But what Jesus models for us is his, the absolute essence of prayer for life and ministry with God. The absolute need to commune with the Father in prayer. Jesus himself needed to steal away and spend time with his Father in heaven to be replenished, to be re- re- refreshed, and to be sent back out on mission. Listen, the, the, you need some basic things to survive in life. Like we all have like our different diets that we do, but really, if we're being honest, you don't need much. You need a little bit of water for liquid and you need some bread for food. Like everything else is just kind of extra, right? Skittles and Sour Patch and Taco Bell and all the good things in life that really give us nourishment. But really all we need is kind of water and bread, the water and bread, the the peanut butter and jelly, the meat and potatoes of our faith is prayer and the word of God. You're gonna hear about all kinds of spiritual disciplines. You're gonna hear about journaling and silence and solitude and fasting and all of those things are really good and we can pursue those things. But the truth is all of those things without the word and without prayer mean nothing. You can fast, but if you fast without praying and and feasting on God in prayer, you're not fasting right. You can journal and you can step away in silence on a Sabbath day, but if you're not meditating on the word of God, you're not doing it right. The basics of our faith are prayer and the word. And Jesus models that for us, showing us the value of prayer in his own life and ministry. And even now, the ministry of Jesus is to pray for us. 
Hebrews 7 says this to us. Consequently, he, that's being Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Here it is since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is always praying for us and he lives to pray for us. So the truth is, if prayer is not beneath our savior, then prayer can never be beneath us. The most foundational thing we need to grow in the gospel is a life saturated with prayer. Now, let's talk for a second about some of the effects of the gospel. When we consider the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's two primary outputs. The first and the most important that you need to know is what's called justification. That when we are in sin, we are declared guilty before God, separated from God, foreign to God. And when Jesus takes our sin and our penalty and our wrath, he bears it on the cross and he pays for it in full. And in exchange for that, he gives us his righteousness. So before God, we are declared innocent and that's full and that's final. So when you turn to Jesus in faith and you trust in him to forgive your sins, you are saved and nothing can change that. That does not increase and decrease. That does not ebb and that does not flow. You cannot lose your salvation because God cannot unsave you. Once you are saved, you are forever and always saved. You are justified by faith. That's called union with Christ. You are united to Christ by faith. Now, there's a second aspect of the gospel, though. This is called communion with Christ or communion with God. When we're reconciled back to God, we are now sons and daughters of the Father, and we relate to him with intimacy. We relate to him with grace. We relate to him with love. Now, here's the truth. Communion with God does ebb and flow. It does increase and decrease. There are seasons where our sin will drive a wedge between us and God. There are seasons, the dark night of the soul, seasons of suffering where we feel far from God, estranged from God. Now it's in a life of prayer where Jesus models for us going away to a desolate place to increase his communion with the Father, feeling depleted from ministry, being refreshed by the Father. And when we pull away and we live a life of prayer, what we are doing is saying, God, I wanna commune with you. Father, I wanna be in your presence. God, I I wanna know more of you and experience more of you. So this is communion with the Father. And when we are growing in the gospel, we are growing in communion with the Father. So how do we do this? How can we grow in a life of prayer? You've probably heard a lot of different models, uh, but just the one that I've just kind of always used because it was taught to me is what's called the Acts model. Raise your hand if you've heard of the Acts model of prayer. All right. So ACTS, it's an acronym, right? A-C-T-S. And here's how it goes. A stands for adoration. C stands for confession. T stands for thanksgiving. And S stands for supplication. It goes in that order. And that's a way for us to come to God in prayer. So here's how we do this. You start in a place of adoration. This is the one that's probably most unfamiliar and most uncomfortable for us, this place of adoration. Adoration is where in prayer, we express our love to God. 
where we express our love and our adoration of God for who he is, his nature and his character, that our God is gracious and he is merciful and he is kind and he is forgiving. We express to God those things. Thank you, God. I love you for your grace in my life. I love you for your mercy in my life and your kindness in my life. We express adoration, not just for who God is, but also for what God has done. Thank you, God, that you provided way for salvation. I love you that you're a God that would save a sinner like me, that would bring a rebel to your family. We adore him. We all know that relationships devoid of of adoration are simply transactional. And a transactional relationship always breaks down eventually. Right, We must have an intimate relationship with those that we love, where we express our love, where we hear their love expressed towards us. And, and God expresses his love towards us in the scriptures. And his love towards us is even while we were still sinners, at that very time is when he sent Christ to save us. That's how much God loves us. And in adoration, we get to express our love back to him. And then we move to confession. Confession is a vital prayer, a vital part of a prayer life. Like the psalmist, we come before God in prayer and we say to him, search me, know me, reveal to me any wicked way that be within me. The book of Jeremiah tells us the heart is deceitful and wicked. It will lead us astray. And so we come before God in prayer and we say, God, show me Inside of me, where have I rebelled from you? Where have I turned from you? Where have I neglected from you? And we search deep within and we confess those things to God. We confess our fallenness, our weakness, where we have come short of the glory of God. And then we also remember that God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus. So we're not confessing to him to try to earn his love. We're confessing to him because we already have his love. And then we move into thanksgiving. In prayer, we always thank God. And we must keep short accounts with God. It's always easy for us to just kind of stay in the place of God. Thank you for my salvation. And please don't ever graduate from that. But God is active in our lives on the day-to-day basis. So we're actively keeping short accounts with God where we thank him for things like that hot cup of coffee I had this morning, right? It's been like in the high 30s, low 40s lately. And when I wake up and I get a hot cup of coffee in my belly, that's awesome. Thank you, God. You invented that. And whoever the person is that you led in your wisdom to pour some hot water over some muddy beans to discover coffee, that's insane. And I love you for that, God. Thank you. Thank him for his providence in your life, his sovereignty in your life, the ways he's led you in your life. Thank him for your relationships, his provision. Keep a short and an active account with God of thankfulness. And then last, this comes last, supplication or requests or or, uh, petition or asking God for things. This is the place where most of us start Like start, just ask, 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 ask. But let's leave this to the end because we'll rightly be oriented of how to ask God for things. And it's not just asking for ourselves, it's asking for God to meet the needs of this world and God to meet the needs of our community and our family and our friends and our children and our coworkers and then ourselves. So we end with supplication. We ask God for what we need, knowing that God is able and willing to answer our prayers. Now, Here's how I want you to think about kind of this acts model of prayer. Think about it like a funnel where at the top are the needs of this world and at the bottom is yourself. 
right? So we start, how does the funnel work? It starts in the top and it eventually moves down to the bottom. So when you're working through this model of prayer, I want you to begin by praying to God for, for the, the world, Pray to God and ask him to protect the persecuted church. Pray to God and ask him to reach unreached people groups. Listen, nothing breaks the heart of God like unreached people groups across the world. People without access to scripture, without access to churches, without access to the gospel. And how often do I wake up cold and unknowing of that? So I must discipline my heart to say, God, reach the unreached and make those things known to God. So pray for the needs of the world and then slowly but surely work your way down with those in your life and end with yourself. There is so much freedom in self-forgetfulness as a Christian. There is so much freedom in a humility that says, I'm more concerned with others than I am with myself. And may our prayer lives reflect that. So there's three primary ways we wanna just kind of throw fuel on the fire of prayer at Story Church. The first is we want you to be praying daily. So write in your Mark Bible journal, write this ax, put some names next to it. On, on January 10th, we, we gave you these little three by fives of different people in your, where you live, where you play, where you work, where you learn. We had you write names in there. Are you praying for these things? I keep mine in my Bible so I know who to be praying for and how to be praying for them. But I must also emphasize just that slot of time in my schedule where I'm praying. We want you to pray in your community whether that's those who you serve with, whether that's those who you're in home group with, whether that's who you grab meals with, who you welcome into your home, your neighborhood, whoever it might be. I want us to just, just be a people whose natural impulse is towards prayer. Where if you're with someone and you're asking them, man, what's going on in your life? How, how do you want God to minister to you? And they share that with you. Here's what I want us to do, church. Say, can we stop and pray? Can I pray for that now? Can I call you this week and let's pray? After this service, maybe talk to someone and say, hey, how can I pray for you? Let us be a praying church. And then finally, uh, every other month on the fourth Wednesday, we do prayer night. We gather right here and we spend about an hour in prayer. The next one is March 24th at 6 p.m. So mark your calendars and come to prayer night. It's a week before Easter. So we're gonna pray for our neighborhood. We're gonna pray for our city. We're gonna pray for those we're going to invite. We're gonna pray that God would reach people on Easter Sunday. So the first building block of growing in the gospel is a life of prayer. Building block number two, that second slot. So kiddos, if you're following along right here, it's preaching. So prayer is our way of speaking to God, making our adoration known to him, our confession, our thanksgiving, our supplication. This is where we're growing in our communion with the Father. And the good news is, Christian, is that God is not silent. When we speak to God in prayer, God speaks back to us. God speaks to us through his word. God speaks to us through his living and active word being preached and read and meditated on and memorized in our lives. God is not silent and God wants wants to talk to us. Look at your Bible journals again. Mark chapter 1, 38 and 39. And he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, this is awesome. If you ever wonder, why did Jesus come? Why is Jesus doing his ministry? He just told us. He says, this is why I came out, that I might preach. 
that I might go from town to town and I might preach. And specifically what Jesus is doing is preaching the word of God, preaching the truth of God. The word of God must be at the core of our gospel growth. We must hear it. We must read it. We must preach it. That's my kiddo. Okay. So all the parents out there worried about your kids, mine's always louder. All right. So it doesn't bother me. I love it. He's telling us why he came is to preach the word. The second and most basic building block of gospel growth is the word of God being preached in our lives. And, and, and I don't want preaching to have kind of this negative connotation. You, you've heard it. Stop preaching at me or quit being preachy. No, no, no. Preaching is just simply the speaking, the heralding of the good news of God's word. And you say it to yourself. You say it to your spouses. You say it to your roommates. You say it to those you're having coffee with in your home group where the word of God must be present and authoritative and sufficient to meet us right where we are. So here's why preaching and why the word is so important for gospel growth. I got six reasons. I always manage to put a lot of points into one point. So I say I've got four points, but I've really got like 19, but we're just going to keep moving. First, the word brings salvation. Salvation comes by the word of the Lord. The truth is none of us we're born Christians. None of us were Christians because the family we were raised in, none of us were Christians just because we happened to become one. We are all Christians because someone preached the good news of the gospel to us. Someone preached the word of God to us and the spirit used that to bring salvation and regenerate us. Romans 10 says to us, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Salvation comes through the preaching of the word. Second reason why this is so important. The word sharpens our worship. We are made to worship, but we are also made to worship rightly. We are made to worship God and God alone. The essence of idolatry is worshiping anything other than God. And our hearts are so fickle, they always wander to worship things other than God. And the word of God is what brings us back and orients us to worshiping God rightly. We are called to worship God, but how can we worship a God we don't know? And the word tells us who God is, what God has done, and he increases our knowledge of him, therefore orients our worship rightly to him. We are saved from educated guesses about God. We don't need to make educated guesses about God. We have the word telling us who God is. And God tells us how to worship him. We, we can eradicate from our vocabulary, I feel like God, dot, dot, dot. We don't need to say that. We don't need to feel about God. We don't need to make things up about God. God tells us who he is, what he's done, and what our worship of him should look like. So we go to the word and we sharpen our worship of who God is. Number three, the word of God being preached in our lives renews us. The word renews us. Uh, each time I prep a sermon, I have this little document on my, uh, my computer that's got like eight categories of people, like those who are suffering, um, those who are sinful, those who are prideful, those who aren't believers, uh, those who have been believers for a long time, and those who are new believers, all different categories. 
And to be honest with you, when I'm prepping a sermon and looking at a text, I'm like, there is no way that I can minister to all of these groups of people effectively. It's such a spectrum and there's so much variety. And the truth is, I can't. But the good news is I don't do the work. The word does the work. And the word is effective to minister across a spectrum. And so when we come to a gathering and we hear the word of God preached, when we go to home group and we talk about the word of God and we apply it to our lives, it's able to renew across the spectrum. If you're suffering, it's the word of God that reminds you that God is not afraid of suffering, but he's with you in the suffering. If you're afflicted, it's the word of God that reminds you that he comforts the afflicted. If you're in sin, it's the word of God that says there's freedom for sin. Come to Jesus and find that freedom. If we're walking in pride, it's the word of God that cuts us at the knees and reminds us we are nothing. He is everything and he wants to meet us and humble us. If, if, we're, if we're wanting to grow in our generosity, if we're wanting to grow in a life of mission, it's the word of God that renews us across the spectrum. Number four, the word sanctifies us. The word sanctifies us. The word teaches us constantly to flee sin and pursue righteousness. If you want to see this most clearly, read Colossians chapter three, where we're told to flee sin and pursue righteousness. It is the word of God when we read it that lays us bare and exposes before God every bit of our fallenness, weakness, and sinfulness. But it is also the word of God that teaches us forgiveness and strength and growth, not by our effort, but by the work of the spirit in our lives. The word sanctifies us. The word equips us. The word equips us for all things pertaining to life and godliness. So if you're struggling with a particular aspect of your life, maybe you're struggling as a parent or, or a student, maybe you're struggling as a spouse or a friend, maybe you're struggling as a child or a worker, the word of God is able to equip you for all things pertaining to life and godliness. You wanna be a better parent? Saturate in the word. You wanna be a better spouse? Saturate in the word. You wanna be a better worker? Saturate in the word. This is what the word of God does for us. It equips us for all things pertaining to life and godliness. And then finally, the word of God fills us with faith. Now, if I could have a moment of, of just kind of uh, vulnerability, church, the last year has been awful. Last year has been awful. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of reasons why. Um, it's been painful. It's been hard. Uh, there's been things spoken to me and about me that have cut and they've wounded me. Um, I, I wish you could see some of the dark nights of the soul Katie and I have had together. And it's not just me, Stephen and his family. And, and yet, even in the midst of that suffering, all too often, I go to the word and I'm filled with faith. And I look at the life of Joseph and I see thrown in a prison, but what the enemy intends for evil, God uses for good. I look at the life of Moses adopted into the Pharaoh's family, but then God uses that to free Israel from Egypt. I look at the life of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, these prophets who were not liked, who were hurt, who suffered, and yet did so with great joy for the advance of God's kingdom and God's purpose 
purposes in the world. And then I look at Jesus Christ himself who shows us the road to exaltation is not the road of pride. The road of exaltation is the road of humility where the road of exaltation actually ran through the cross of Calvary where he was lifted up in our place. And so how can I not expect suffering as a child of God? How can I not expect suffering in this world? And then I can find joy and faith and comfort even in the middle of suffering where I'm not asking God change the circumstances, but I'm asking God change me and give me sight of you. The word of God fills us with faith. If you need faith, if you need God to move in your life, you need hope in Jesus, run to the word and see it on display everywhere. So again, how are we gonna do that here? Well, we're gonna do this each and every week. We're gonna gather and we're gonna preach through verses of the Bible. We always do that. We're never gonna stop doing that. That's the reason why we spent way too much money to buy Mark Bible journals. So you can have the word of God. You could take notes in it. So we've got free Bibles over there. If you don't have one, grab one, keep it. It's yours right at the welcome tent. We wanna give that to you. It's why we equipped you with a Bible reading plan. And I know we're coming up on Leviticus, but we can do it, church. Let's plow ahead. Let's keep reading. Let's study. Let's meditate. Leviticus is no less the word of God than Romans. Let us get in the word of God and study and preach and watch it sanctify us and renew us and give us hope and give us faith and encourage us. Preaching is building block number two of gospel growth. Let's keep moving here. Building block number three is striving. And I'm gonna plow through the next two. So, So hang with me if you can. The New Testament gives us a lot of different terms for what our our life with Jesus, our journey with Jesus looks like. You might hear laboring or toiling. You might hear uh, gripping or, or, or grinding or struggling. These are all words that describe the Christian life. One of those words is striving. If we are gonna commit to gospel growth for the long haul, we must commit to a life and a faith of striving after Jesus. Look at Mark chapter one, 40 through 42. And a leper came to him, Jesus, and implored him and kneeling to him said, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to the leper, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Here's what striving is. Striving is kind of setting a goal reverse engineering the steps you need to take to get to that goal. And with a steely eyed resolve saying, I'm gonna reach that goal. I see examples of it all around. I, I know Blake and, and I gotta get through my graduate degree. And even in the midst of, of a shutdown and, and not being in class, I am resolved. I'm going to strive after finishing my degree. I think of David, I, I think of Josh building businesses. I'm striving to build this business. I, with a steely eyed resolve, I'm gonna do what it takes to make it happen. I think about parenting our kids in the midst of something like this with a steely-eyed resolve. I'm going to point my kids to Jesus every day with my words and my actions. What we just saw from this leper was a striving after Jesus. I'm going to get to him. I'm going to ask him for healing. I'm going to beg of him. I'm going to kneel before him. I got to get to Jesus. Now, lepers in this time were the worst of the worst of society, right? They, when, when you got leprosy, the skin disease, you were not allowed in the town anymore. They built a tent city outside of the gates of the town and they put all the lepers in kind of this compound together and they locked the, the gate, swallowed the key and said, you're not welcome back here, right? That's how it worked. But this leper 
said, I've heard about this Jesus. I know this Jesus heals people. I know he delivers people. I don't care if I'm not welcome there. I'll climb over that gate if I got to, but I'm gonna strive after Jesus. And here's what we see in this story, that even as the leper gets to Jesus and he bows before him and he begs him, here's what Jesus does. The opposite of what any of us would do. All of us would see a man with leprosy and we say, get away from me. I don't wanna catch that turn our back on him, walk away from you. But Jesus moves towards him with pity, stretches out his hand and says, you're healed. You're clean. You're mine. I'm with you. And the truth is, as all of us have this steely-eyed resolve to get to Jesus and get more of Jesus, when we go after Jesus, he never leaves himself hidden. He never leaves himself neglecting us, but he always moves towards us and gives us more of him. So let us strive after more of Jesus, more of his presence, more of his life, more of his grace, more of his mercy, more of his word, more of his people. And the fact is striving after Jesus is just a matter of priorities. Priorities are just those things that we make and guard time for, right? I do not make and guard time to do yard work because I hate doing yard work. It's just not fun. And I know people get fun out of that, but I'm an avid indoorsman and I'm just not gonna do it. (laughs) However, I do make and guard time to be with my family, which is why on Fridays, you're not gonna get an email from me and a text message from me. You're not gonna get a a calendar event with me. I'm just gonna guard my Fridays with my family because I love them more than I love you. And, And I love them more than I love anyone. They're gonna get my priorities. And if we're gonna strive after Jesus, we are going to make and guard time to be with him. We have time, right? Every year at the end of the year when Netflix sends me my annual like kind of, what'd you watch? And how many minutes of you did you watch? I'm like, oh man, that cut to my soul. There's time. Or Spotify, you listen to this many minutes of music and it's all like Jojo Siwa and Miley Cyrus and all that kind of stuff because Peyton uses my account. It's not me, it's not me. But the T-Swift, that is me. (laughs) A lot of minutes on Spotify, a lot of minutes doing those. None of that's bad, but it proves to us that there is time. And if we wanna strive after Jesus, we we can make that time where we're gonna get more of him and we're gonna ask for more of him. So striving. And the final point, sharing. Building block number four is sharing. Now, Uh, 2020 revealed to us kind of uh, that God is wise, that God knows what he's doing. And when God created Adam, he looked at Adam and that's the first thing that he said, ah, it's not so good. We need to create a helpmate for him. And that's where he created Eve. Why? Because humans are made to be in community. Humans are meant to share life and to share words. In 2020, man, they're like, get alone, get isolated, be alone, do this yourself. And the truth is life and humans and our faith cannot be individualized or private or done in isolation. How God has designed us is to have a public faith, a communal faith, a vocal faith, a life life of sharing Jesus one to another. Now, let's look at the last two verses here. Mark chapter 1, 44 and 45. By the way, it took us 6 weeks to get through chapter 1 of Mark. We will we'll get moving a little more from here. Jesus uh, said to the leper, "See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them." 
But he, the leper, went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. That's, that's hilarious, right? Jesus says, don't do this thing. And immediately the leper goes and does that thing. What's going on here? Well, well, this is what scholars call the messianic secret. Here's how that works. Let me explain. That's a big word to you. Uh, Jesus, uh, because he's God, knew how things would work. Jesus knew that as he healed people, as he delivered demons, as he saved people and forgave sins, that he would become famous and people would come flocking to him. Now, what Jesus wanted to do was kind of control his own rise to popularity, control his reputation, control how he was known. Because as we'll see, as Mark goes on, Jesus became known less as God who came to save sin and more as kind of like a Buddha, rub his belly and find your healing. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is God who came to save sins and he wanted to control that narrative. But as people went out and shared and as they spoke, his reputation grew. And yet there's something about how we're designed in this that, that shows us that the leper is doing exactly what we would do. I mean, how many of us can go to a person after being riddled with leprosy and Jesus say, you're clean, all of a sudden you're clean. You're gonna go into the town and scream from the mountaintops. Look at this Jesus, look at who he is. We are designed to have a vote local faith, a public faith, a communal faith where we're sharing Jesus one to another. Uh, my, my friend, Mark Halleck, he's a pastor of Calvary Church in Denver. His church's mission statement is this, Calvary Church exists to make Jesus non-ignorable. I love that, non-ignorable. My friend Dave Mears in Brisbane, Australia, his church's mission statement is this, to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our mission statement here is to know, live, and share the one true story. The flow of our faith is to make Jesus known, to share Jesus, to make Jesus non-ignorable. And if we have kind of a cheap experience with Jesus, I would say oftentimes there's kind of a roadblock happening where we're not sharing Jesus with others, where we're not sharing Jesus in community and sharing Jesus with a lost and broken world. So if we wanna grow in the gospel, we must grow in the sharing of the gospel. Now, my, my hope is that we, Story Church, would experience gospel growth in the coming days and weeks and months and, and years. I, I want us to grow individually. I want us to grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is. I want us to grow corporately of what Jesus is doing in our midst. It's not just an individual thing, it's a corporate thing. I want us to grow spiritually in the word of God. I want us to grow spiritually in the confession of sin and the growth in holiness. I want us to grow numerically where we are reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the fact is, if we wanna do that, we must do the basic things right, the basic building blocks right. We must be a praying church. We must be a church that is submitted to the word of God in our lives, trusting the word to do the work. We must be a church that is striving after more of Jesus in his presence, knowledge of him. And we must be a church that is willingly sharing Jesus one to another and to anyone who has ears to hear. I want us to grow in that way. And that's what we are committed to. That's what Jesus models for us. And that's what Jesus calls us into. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We do thank you for your word that does the work in our lives. 
We thank you for your word that is effective to, to grow us and to shape us and to mold us and to form us into the image of Jesus. And so today, as the word is preached, the gospel is preached, God, I pray that you would just do the work, the work that I'm unable to do, but you, by your spirit's power, are able to do. And so, God, would you do that? For those who are afflicted, would you comfort? Those who are suffering, would you give them joy in suffering? Those who are in sin, would you give them freedom to confess and find forgiveness of sin? For those who came in hopeful and, and, and victorious, God, would you give them a reminder that is by your grace alone that they're in their, that place? Would they have a heart of thankfulness? God, would you do the work that only you can do, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.